0: Hello, and welcome back to the Drake Basketball Podcast. Today, you'll be hearing part two of our interview with Drake basketball legend, Dolph Pulliam. In it, he tells us about playing against Kareem, being drafted into the NBA and NFL, as well as working as the first black newscaster in the state of Iowa. If you haven't heard part one, be sure to go back and give it a listen. Now, without further ado, here's Dolph. Would you say that Kareem is the best player that you ever had a chance to play against or with, or is it someone else? No, without a doubt. Kareem
1: was the best ball player at that time that I had seen. No one, no one had ever blocked his skyhook until he played against Drake University. Now, here's what happened there. Uh, Rick Wanamaker was in because Gary Odom and Al Williams had got into deep, deep foul trouble. Both had four fouls, and so coach put Rick Wanamaker in there. Kareem gets the ball. He goes in for his sky hook. Rick Wanamaker goes up there and blocks it. You should have seen Kareem's eyes when Rick Wanamaker blocked that shot. Nobody had ever gotten that shot, and Rick Wanamaker got it, and Kareem went, damn. (laughs) And I thought, here's a little team out of Des Moines, Iowa, and we just impressed the greatest ball player in college basketball today. To this day, he will say that Drake University was the best ball team, the toughest ball team that they had played in his entire four years of college. Matter of fact, I got a picture behind me on the wall there that Kareem signed. And he said he said just about that, too. He said, you guys just about beat us. We impressed him. And 54 years later, that team still impressed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it's just, it's wild to see how bright that game still shines uh, in the Drake community and the Des Moines community uh, across the state of Iowa. I was really hoping in 2008 for a, for a rematch, if we could have gotten past Western Kentucky ucla was in that side of the bracket yeah i was hoping for that too
1: i really was because i was wearing my ncaa final four watch at that game and i had on my drake blazer that we wore when we always traveled to away games i had my blue blazer on there and i was ready to celebrate if that team had gotten to play against ucla but uh it didn't happen and uh Drake had just missed a little bit, a little bit. Every time we get to the N.C. tournament, we just fall oh, just a little short, which is
0: heartbreaking. I genuinely do think Coach DeVries is going to get us, get us over that line, though. I believe that as well.
1: You know, I, I got to believe that. He has the enthusiasm. He has the coaching knowledge. He has the love of the team that believe in him. He has gotten the team to the point where they can believe in themselves, too. Play hard. You know, those are the those are the things that we need to get to the next level there. Always in the back of my head, though, is are we going to be able to keep him? And that is always a challenge, you know. He may get a coaching offer that he just can't turn down. I'm hoping that it doesn't happen until after he gets us to the final
0: four, again. Eduardo and I have talked about that a decent amount on this show. And I think the one thing that really gives us encouragement is just – how loyal of a guy he seems to be, you know, spending 18 years at Creighton before this as a assistant coach. And the fact that he's he's applied for Drake three times before they were smart enough yeah. hiring. You know, he wanted, he wanted to be here. And the good thing is that he's got family
1: this year in the area too. So they get to see him. They don't have to travel all the way to Omaha to see if they can come right here, right in Des Moines. And that's another great thing. So this is home for him. And to be home... Is just a plus for his family, extended family, his friends, to have him here. He's happy here. You know, he could be here forever. Unless something better comes on that he really wants to get him to the next level. And if that happens, though, you know, yes, I'm going to be sad and my heart will be broken. But I will be happy for him if it happens. You know, you, you can't hold
0: them back from that. it really is a different (laughs) landscape these days i mean not only for coach debris but you know you mentioned you know are you able to keep guys i mean how tough do you think that would be for you you know if the transfer portal existed you know back then and now to where it is today uh you know it's hard retaining retaining talent as a mid-major
1: well it would be hard because, just an example, my sophomore year when Coach John says, okay, you're going to be my defensive stopper. But, Coach, you brought me here to tell me, and you told me when you brought me here that I was going to have the ball in my hands and I was going to be scoring. Now you're telling me I'm going to be the defensive stopper. Well, if we had the portal then, I would be at Indiana instead of at Drake University. You know? So, yeah, it would have been a different landscape players would be going all over the place as they are today. You just can't keep a kid that's unhappy in your program. I can remember one player that we had. His name was Yesifu. But great, I don't <laughs> know if you remember him. He was the guy that came in off the bench to fill in for Roman Penn and give Roman Penn a break. But then we got near the tournament, uh, Missouri Valley Conference tournament. Roman gets hurt. Yesifu had to step in uh, and became a star. We get to the NCAA tournament, and Yesufu was on the all-tournament team. That's how good he was. Yesufu wanted to start at Drake University the following year. But where do you put him? can't have three, four guards out there on the floor. And that caused him to say, well, look, I'm leaving. And that's what he did. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different landscape now. How coaches do it today, I have no idea. Uh, you bite your fingers and you you, you you pray a lot and you hope that you can find a way to make your kids happy here. And not just happy in the basketball sense of the word, but also have to be happy with the campus environment. You know, there's students as well as, as athletes. And so all of that plays into the role of keeping a young person happy and enthusiastic
0: and at your university. Uh, Dolph, I... I wanted to ask you, too, if you can share a little bit with uh, with the audience, post-Drake life, getting drafted by the Celtics, the Nuggets, Cowboys-Bengals. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and what that process was like and kind of where you ended up after that.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, getting to the NCAA tournament with Drake and for the first time in the history of our school, getting to a NCAA tournament was a real win for us. And so getting there, I still didn't have a real strong sense that the pros are looking at me because today, even then, the guy that scores the point, shoots the ball, the guards, the leading scorer, they're the ones that get all of the attention. The defensive guy is just a, he's a blue-collar worker. Got a lunch pill. He goes to work out there and he does his job. Nobody pays any attention to that, but they, just, they want to see the, the excitement of the guy scoring. But me, I have to get out there on that floor, and I got to hold the lead score down so we can win ball games. And I'm saying, I have to do that, but these sports writers, photographers, they don't care about that. So I had to convince me that golf. This is how we're gonna get there. This is how we're gonna win. This is what we need. Drake needs you to do. Coach John said you're gonna be the defensive stopper. Dolph get out there and just get the job done. Shut the guy down so we have a chance to win the ball game. So if I got my mindset, and I get to the NCAA tournament, and I got to guard uh, Shigog from Texas or where he was from. And this guy's averaging 24 points a game, but I know that if we're gonna win, I gotta shut him down. And I shut this man down, and he only scored five points on us, and we won. We get there. I remember once I was guarding him and um, did the famous Dolph Pulliam flop out on the floor and got the charge against She-God. The referee came down on the floor, and he lifted me up off the floor, and he hit me on the butt, and he says, way to go, number five. And I went, (laughs) son of a gun. And I says, oh, man, somebody's paying attention to me. And I had a blast out there. But that's when I got a, started feeling, well, maybe somebody's going to be watching me. Believe it or not, after that ball game, coach walked into our dressing room and said to coach John, coach, I'd like to talk, talk to Dolph Pulliam. So coach says, well, go ahead and talk to Dolph. The man comes over to me and he says, son. He said, I'm I'm a college basketball coach. And I'm sitting out here watching games here. He says, but son, I'm watching you play defense. He says, I have never seen anyone play defense like that in my life. And he says, and I've been coaching college basketball for years. He said, I just wanted to come in here and shake your hand. And he says, good luck to the rest of it. And he left. And I said, son of a gun. Man, somebody's paying attention to me. and that's what I got a sense in. I, that the, we went on to the Final Four, we played against uh, UCLA. I said, well, maybe I'm on national television. If I can hold down um, a Lynn Shackleboard, maybe somebody that'll give us a chance to win this ballgame and somebody will pay attention to me. The first call that I got when I got back to Des Moines, Iowa, wasn't from the, pro, from the, the NBA. It was from the NFL, and it was Coach Tom Landry. Uh, Dolph, this is Coach Tom Landry. And son, I've been watching you on television. (laughs) I'm about to cry when I'm telling you this story because he says, Son, he says, I've never seen anybody play defense like you in my life. He says, Dolph, he says, I'd like for you to play for me. And he says, I will teach you to be the most feared defense and back in all of the NFL. And I said, Wow, I've always wanted to play and told people that I played for the Dallas Cowboys. And here I've got Coach Tom Landry saying to me, play for me. And so he says, so he said, would you play for me? And I said, well, Coach, I'll have, my agent will be in touch with you. The second call that I got was from Red Arback, And he says, damn it, Pullian. He says, man, you guys got cheated. You made the last basket for Drake, and they fouled you, and they should have called that foul. You guys could have beat UCLA. He said, but son, I was watching you. Now, said, I thought he was watching Willie McCarter or whatever. me. He said, son, I was watching you. He says, not only do you play great defense, he said, but you can score too. And he says, Dolph, he says, you're going to be my next John Havlicek.' He says, John Havlicek is the only player that I have that can play defense, but he can also give me double digits in scoring. He said, Dolph, you're going to play, the Boston Celtics are and you in the NBA, and I got you. I want you to play for me. So that's how I got drafted. And then I got calls from the Cincinnati Bengals uh, in the AFL in those days, okay? And then it was the Denver Nuggets in the ABA that called and wanted to know if I would play for them. And so I had the four teams that had wanted me to play uh, in the pros, and I tell you, it was a dream come true. And I said, wow, I'm off going to the NBA. Or, and I, wanted, I said, I'm going to play for the ball itself. I just didn't want to play football after that, because I figured if I played football, I'd never be able to walk again for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> people would take my legs out, they'd break my knees, and I would be done forever. So I thought I had to call Coach Landry and tell Coach Landry that I was not going to play football that I was going to concentrate on basketball instead. And he says, I understand. And he did. So that was my mindset. I'm heading to the Boston Celtics. Red Arback is happy. I'm happy. We're going to negotiate a contract. And the world is going to look great for me. I thought I was gone. I thought I was headed to the the NBA. And um, looking forward to it until I get a call at the dorm from Coach John. And he said, I want you to, I need you to come over to my office. I need to uh, talk to you. And I thought, okay. So I headed over to Coach John's office and he says, uh, Dolph, a group of business leaders led by Governor Ray, they want to take you to lunch. And I says, what? And he says, they want to take you to lunch. And I said, but coach, what do they want? He says, well, they didn't tell me that. They just said they want you to go to lunch. And I said, but coach, are you going to go with me? He said, well, no, they didn't invite me. They only wanted you. And I said, but coach, I don't know about all of this. And he says, dog, just go to lunch. Listen to what they have to say. And you don't have to make any decision. Just just listen to what they have to say. Well, okay, I'll do it. I'll go to lunch. So I put on my suit and tie, and I went to lunch, and there was Governor Ray and Bill Knapp and, James Hubble Sr. and Dick Olson and John Esses and
0: uh, God, it was a who's who. Dolph, I'm sorry. One second. I didn't. That's funny. You mentioned that Dick Olson is my grandfather. Get out of here. <laughs> Are you serious? Yep.
1: That is awesome. Well, your grandfather was there at the meeting for a lot. Took me to lunch. <laughs> Bill Reichardt also was another guy in, in that group. So here I am, I'm a kid. I'm here with these people and I'm having lunch with the Who's Who of Iowa. And they're saying to me, Dolph, don't go. Dolph, what, what we see in you is something that we think that this community dearly loves and needs. We need a person in our community with you like you, that people love, the students love, the fans love Dolph. We like the way you carry yourself. We like the way you like, Dolph. Please stay here with us. I'm in shock just listening to them. And so after the lunch was all said and done, I thanked them for lunch, and then I left and went back to the dorm. My head was spinning about all this, and I went to I went to my room, and just got on my bed. About two hours later, the phone rang. There was Coach John. Dolph, you were supposed to give me a call when you got back from lunch. Oh, yeah, Coach, I forgot. Dolph, what did they want? I said, well, Coach, they asked me to stay. They wanted you to stay in Des Moines. I said, yeah, they wanted me to stay in Des Moines. And what did you tell them? And I said, well, Coach, you told me to go listen. You told me that I didn't have to say anything. So you didn't tell him anything? I said, no, You, because you told me I didn't have to. So, Doc, what are you going to do? I said, well, coach, I want to go play in the pros. He said, well, then, that's it. You're going to go play for the Boston Celtics. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, then, that's said and done, then. You're going to go to the Celtics. Okay, coach. And I thought that was it. I thought it was the end of it. It's settled. I am going and play for the Boston Celtics. Then I get a phone call from... My professor at Drake University, Professor Jim Duncan, was my major was speech, and my minor was radio and television broadcasting. And he wanted to talk with me about my paper that I had written for my final exam. And I went, oh boy. I hope he didn't think I plagiarized it or did something wrong here, because this was my grade. If I don't pass this course, then I fail. So I go to Professor Duncan's office and knocked on the door. And I says, uh, Professor, uh, you needed to see me about my paper. He said, well, yeah, doll. uh, come in. I need to talk with you about your paper. And I said, but Professor, is there is there a problem? He says, no, Dolph, there is no problem. He says, Dolph, you're going to get your grade on this paper. And he says, but I'm not going to put a grade on it. And I would, but Professor, I need the grade. And he says, No, you're gonna get a grade, but I'm not gonna put it out. I said, Why not? He says, Because I am not qualified to judge a Michelangelo painting. And I go, Whoa. And he says, Dolph, he says, This is the finest document that I have ever read. And I've been teaching here at Drake University for over 30 years. And he says, Dolph, he says, I've never read anything this this great. And he says, so you're going to get your grade in this class, he says, but I'm not going to put a grade on this paper, but I want you to keep this forever, because this is this is, this is is history. What he had had me know, he told me that for my final exam in his class, he says, I want you to write about your senior year playing for Drake. And I went, oh, I can do that. It has to be 15 pages long or more, and it has to be single-spaced. It has to be typewritten and all that. And so that's what I did, and I turned that in to him. And he says, I want you to keep this paper forever. He said, but Dolph, what I'd like for you to do, I want you to go back to your dorm. I want you to put on a suit and tie. I'd like you to go down to Channel 8 and meet the station manager at Channel 8. And Dolph, I want you to take the job. I went, what? I said, Professor Duncan, I'm going to go play for the Boston Celtics. He said, no, Dolph, I want you to go down to Channel 8, and I want you to take that job. And I went, but Professor Duncan, I want to go play for the pros. He said, no. He said, I want you to do this, Dolph. I I need you to go back, and I want you to go down there and meet him now and, and, and take the job. Oh, my God. So I go back to my dorm, put on a suit and tie, I go down to channel a and i meet the station manager and i talked to him for about an hour and told him if i work for you this is what i'm going to do and i want to do this that and the other and, the, and i just went on and on and on he never got a word in otherwise in that hour time that i talked with him and at the end i got up from to walk out of his office and i says um mr dylan i'm going to work for you he goes you are I said, yes, sir. He said, but I didn't offer you the job. And I said, I'm working for you anyway. He said, oh, okay. And I said, and I'll see you at the in at the end of September. He goes, Oh, well, wait a minute, before you go, how much am I gonna pay you? And I says, you'll be fair, and I'll just see you at the end of September. He says, I'll be fair. And I said, Yes, sir, you'll be fair, and I'll just see you in September. And and I'll and I walked out. <sighs> I go back to the campus and I go to Professor Duncan's office and I said, OK, Mr. Duncan, I said, I just met with Mr. Dillon, I'm going to go ahead and take the job at Channel But mm-hmm. Professor Duncan, why is this so important? And he said, well, Doc, like I said, I have been teaching here for many years. I have never had a student like you before. I haven't had a student that can write like you, that can talk like you, that can do the work in my classroom like you have. He says, now, Dolph, he says, I knew that one day I was going to have a student like you, but I didn't think he was going to be black. And he says, so, son, he says, this is your legacy. He says, you can go off and play in the pros and, and last for a couple, three years. He says, and then people will forget you. He says, but, Dolph, you're going to open the door for other African-Americans to come into the television broadcast market in the state of Iowa because you're going to be the first. And I know that you're going to be a, do a good job and others will follow you because other stations will start hiring based on you. Doc, that is your legacy. That is something that will never die. It will live with you forever. That's why I wanted you to take that job. Whew. That was powerful, and you can even imagine a professor that can convince a student star athlete that has already ready to sign his name on the NBA contract to stay in Des Moines, Iowa, because it was the right thing to do for me. It was the best decision for me that Professor Duncan said, that that was the best decision. And I believed him, I trusted him, and I did, and I, and I stayed here. Now, after I went to work at Channel 8, two weeks later, I thought I had made the wrong decision because uh, one day in the newsroom, the word came from the station manager for me to come to the meet, the, the station manager needed to see me. So I walked into his office and uh, says, uh, Bill, you need to see me. And he says, yeah, Dolph." he says, uh, these are two members of the FBI. These guys are wearing headphones, earphones, and they've got uh, guns. And I need to bring you in here. And I says, why?" He said, well, Dolph, we've been getting so many death threats on your life that I have to call the FBI and report it. And Dolph, not only have we been getting death threats on your life, but now, Dolph, they're threatening to blow up the station if we don't get rid of you. So, Dolph, I had to call these men in. They'd like to talk with you, Dolph. And they said that they have a plan how they can get this to stop. I am in shock. Tears are coming down my face. I'm thinking, what the heck? I thought I was a popular athlete, and I thought everybody liked me. I didn't know I had enemies out there. These gentlemen says, Mr. Pulliam, we know how we can get this to stop what we're going to do is we're going to take you off the air and let you work behind the scenes. And we think that if doing it that way, that you will not be on the air and that people won't see you and the death threats will stop you. And we will we, we'll save the station from getting bombed and we'll save your life. I am in shock again. I, I'm a kid. I don't know what's going on here. But Bill, the station manager, said, but, doll, if you tell me that you want to stay on the air, and, doll, I'm going to keep you on the air. And I said, well, Bill, I want to stay on the air. I don't want to work behind the scenes. And he said, well, then you're on the air. And then the FBI said, well, now, wait a minute. We're trying to save this man's life. And we're trying to keep the station from getting blown up. If we keep him on the air, how are we going to do that? Bill says, well, I don't know, but that's your problem. But he wants to stay on the air, and we're going to keep him on the air. That meeting ended, and I said, I think I made the wrong decision to stay here. I think I should have gone off and played in the pro. This is just not what I anticipated. And thank God for Governor Ray, because Governor Ray got the death threats to stop. And my life changed after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, your life changed, and I think you you changed the lives of everybody who's ever uh, watched you on TV, listened to you on the radio, or watched you on the court. Um, it's it's been a joy for all of us Bulldog fans to tune in over the years, and every every time we go to a Drake event that you're at, I mean, there's always a standing line of people who want to take photos with you, or meet you, or be a part of what you're all about. So uh, <laughs> On behalf of at least two bulldog fans, we just want to say thank you for everything you've done.
1: Well, Eduardo, thank you, Tucker, thank you. It has been a—I've had a great life. It has been a storybook life. It has—it's been a fun life. Um, i i have accomplished a lot, as you pointed out. I've touched a lot of lives. Continue to do that every day. But I still, my love is enormous for. for Drake University. Drake is like my mother. Drake is like my surrogate mother because my mom died when I was very young. But Drake University taught me an awful lot. Taught me how to be a man. Gave me confidence that I can do the work in the classroom. Showed me how to meet people and not to be afraid of people. Taught me how to look folks in the eye and to smile. Gain confidence, build friendships, lifelong friendships. Drake University taught me that. Well, my life was not easy. I came out of the cotton fields of Mississippi. As a kid, picking cotton in Mississippi with my mom and my nine brothers and sisters, you know, we had no, it was ruled by the Ku Klux Klan back in those days, and we had no rights. I couldn't. i am drinking. i am drunk from the colored only fountains. I've gone to the backs of buildings, and uh, we can't go to the hospitals, the doctors. I've been through, went through all of that as a kid. You know, I've had to watch in Mississippi my people be hanged, and if and and I've got guns pointed at me by the Ku Klux Klan that if I didn't look, they're gonna hit me in the head with those guns, and I have to watch my people be hanged. My life has been interesting. I'm lucky to be here today. But through all of that, I have survived it. My life has grown enormously. I have made hundreds and thousands of friends around the world now. And the things that happened to me as a kid are gone in the background. So, yes, I feel blessed. And I thank you for asking that question. Um, I'm looking forward to the next chapters in my life and whatever else uh, it brings.
0: Well, we're looking forward to it, too. You're welcome to come on the show anytime. It's been an absolute blast having you on.
1: Thank you. You guys take care now.